And Jamie Whitney here from uh, Word of Life. He's, uh, as you saw on the uh, PowerPoint that was up there, uh, he handles the whole Western New York uh, area. Um, he's been telling me some great things about what's going on. Uh, actually, Rod and Jamie uh, left, I think it was in April of last year, to come down here and speak, and they finally got here. So, <laughs> if you remember correctly, um, they were supposed to speak at our spring. Uh, uh, emphasis Sunday, and that's when that snowstorm hit, and they couldn't get out of Buffalo. Uh, so uh, we we're just really happy to have them back here now. Uh, they've got a lot of great things going on, and I'm sure Rod's going to explain some of that uh, when he comes up uh, up here. Uh, we have known Rod for years and years and years um, here, uh, and he has just been a great friend. I always am encouraged every time I see them, and by the time I, by the time we part our part company, I'm uh, uh, just encouraged and, and enthused. Uh, they just exude that as they go, Lord. So, uh, with no further ado, I'm going to introduce Rod Whitney, who's going to come up and uh, bring a message today for us. And I'm sure you're going to tell them about the, all the good things that are happening too. So, Rod, thank you. Wow, what an amazing service so far. Um, you folks are to be commended. Uh, what, I, what I love about your music and your worship is it, it, just, it just points everything to God, doesn't it? There's just, there is no one like our God. Uh, I love the way the, the worship is so designed to just bring total attention to Christ. And, and to an amazing God that we have. Um, I can't think of a, a better a place that I would rather be than right here this morning. Uh, just such a joy to be with you. Uh, God has just been doing some absolutely amazing, amazing things in our lives. Uh, after being with Word of Life for 29 years, you, you would think you'd just about seen it all, and there was like, you know, it was just a matter of repeating everything every year. But I have never seen God do so many amazing things as he has this year. Um, it just seems to get better and better. In fact, it's almost scary where, where we are right now. Uh, God has just been doing some incredible things. In fact, I am so humbled as, just this morning to be here near Missions Day and to, to see this amazing team of missionaries that, that you have and support and pray for. Um, it just does my heart good to see that list of people and those pictures and to think of the countries that are represented and the lives that are being impacted because of Alfred Almond Bible Church praying and getting behind those people. I, I just, I'm so humbled to just be one of them and so thankful for this church, for your prayers, your love. Uh, that means so much to us. We get an email every month asking us for just special prayer request and what a thrill that is uh, to know that you guys really care for us. Uh, thank you so much for what you do and, and I, I want to say thank you Ken for bringing a group of students to our battle zone a week ago Saturday. That was, I was so glad that your students came. They were such an encouragement. We need them. We're trying to grow that event and uh, we had close to a hundred uh, teens just had an incredible day. Uh, when we gave an invitation at the end of the day for dedication, 
I believe at least half of the students uh, came forward to dedicate themselves in spiritual disciplines and asking their leaders to pray for them. Uh, in at least one spiritual discipline, whether it be quiet time or serving or faithfulness at a local church. And many of the students uh, responded to a number of the disciplines. They could circle them on their card what they wanted to commit their life to this year. And, and your students made some amazing commitments. I, over half of the group came forward. Now, if you can imagine at any teen event to have half of the students come forward is a pretty amazing thing. But that's just so descriptive of what God has been doing for us this year. We, we have seen people saved. We have seen so many lives changed. Um, and like I say, it's almost at a point where it's a little scary. We, I have never seen so many of our prayers just almost like a checklist. God just doing one thing after another. Um, and we are so blown away. All of headquarters up at Word of Life, I mean, I just got to tell you, whenever we call them, Everyone that we talk to is like, what is happening in Western New York? And I just, you know, everyone wants to know what the secret is. We, we had the, the joy of starting 20 new ministries this fall. We have never done that in one year. In fact, if you took, prior to this year, in the last 29 years, if you took our two best years out of 29 years, we would beat those two best years just this year. And so every time I call up the headquarters or they get another club subscription, they're like, it's another one for the Whitney's. What is going on out there in Western New York? We got to send a team out and check them out. They must be like doing something illegal or whatever. <laughs> so, and I, I keep assuring them I'm not holding a gun to anybody. I don't, I don't know what's going on except that God has been absolutely amazing. Um, we've We've seen, um, in fact, right presently, um, we have the, the most churches that any missionary has signed up here in what they, what they have prior to this called the graveyard of <laughs> of the United States. Uh, us in New York and New England is considered the graveyard. It's like things don't happen like that. Down south, yes, but uh, I want to tell you, folks, it is happening here. God is really doing something, and... We just, I just got to tell you, we get up every morning and just want to fall on our knees because I've never seen anything like that. Letters that we're getting from students, letters from leaders. I have met with so many pastors this summer, probably never talked to more pastors than this year and that have become our dear, dear friends that we pray for on a regular basis. Um, we know now over a hundred pastors that we are in some kind of communication with. And some of them, not going through the easiest of times. Um, our enemy is very much at work. Uh, and it's been probably the, the busiest, if you want to call it a workload. I, I don't consider it work because I enjoy so much what we do. But... Um, Probably the roughest schedule we've ever seen is um, when you start 20 new clubs, we do two training sessions for each church. And so that's 40 training sessions for them to get ready for school year, uh, all in about five weeks. So you can imagine, Jamie's done some of them, I've done a lot of them. I mean, we've had to split up. I mean, I, I've never, like I said, I've just never seen anything like this. 
Um, we visit all of our clubs in the course of a year, so we have 48 all together right now. We visit all the new ones twice, so we kind of put on the calendar 65 club visits between now and the end of May. I'm not sure, we've never done over 50, so I'm not sure how we're going to do that. Uh, so we really do need your prayers. We, uh, God has just literally opened the windows of heaven and has poured out blessings that's the good news. Uh, the challenging part is we really have a huge responsibility this year uh, to do what we promise we always do. And so we really need your prayers um, very, very much. I, I've never felt more inadequate than the way we've started out this year, God. And in fact, I was telling Karen, if you can imagine this, I, I have four other churches that want to start about six to eight clubs right now. And I've had to tell them, I have no evenings left, period. <laughs> so um, I was able to convince them to wait till we have this really big special in January. It's a mid-year special. I really have no choice. But actually, they were all good with that. Everybody was like, yeah, we understand. We, actually, it'd be good for us to wait. So I hope they still feel that way in January. <laughs> when we then will uh, launch another big drive to, to get them uh, subscribed and... So God is, God is so good, uh, just so good. Um, I could tell you a few years ago, and, and if you kind of keep this to yourself, you're like one of our, I, I need to come here for therapy like every, every couple of months because you guys are so good for us. I feel like I can come here and just like take a big breath, you know, and just kind of a sigh. A few years ago, we were just going through some administrative <clears throat> challenges. And when my direct report was let go, um, you know, for kind of just philosophy differences, um, Jamie and I came very close to leaving Word of Life at that time. And we were just, you know, little, um, how do I say it? Uh, just going through a bit of a struggle with some decisions that were made. And a number of our staff are asking, what are you guys going to do? And we're like, and I'm telling you some very private stuff. Um, not all the details, but just, it was about three or four years ago. We weren't sure what we were going to do. And finally, we, we were just so uneasy about making a decision in a hurry. You know, they say there are times in your life you shouldn't rush about making certain decisions because it's probably not a good time. And that was the case for us, and people were asking us, and I said, well, you know, we decided after so much prayer that we're just going to pray for about a year and we're just going to keep doing what we're supposed to do for a year. And then we'll see how God has led us. When I tell you we came close to leaving, we, we very well could have. But at the end of the year, I, I felt my wife and I, we sat down and talked. I mean, we do every day. And, um, and I, you know, we said... You know, God definitely called us with this ministry. And I don't really feel like he's called us out of it. So I said, even though we kind of had to humble ourselves a little bit and kind of take it on the chin in a, in a few ways, we decided that God definitely wants us here, that we have so much ministry and so many lives, and I really didn't see God ending that. And so we made the decision to stay. And I have never seen God do more than what he's done. 
in the last couple of years. And it's, the only thing I could add to that would be to say that it seems like when you just come to the place where you just totally obey, and I mean even in the little details and, and, and just all the tiny little details, total obedience. And I have never seen God answer so many prayers. Lives are being impacted, including ours. And I just, I just want to thank you for your prayers, your constant care. Uh, that really means a lot to us. And it almost, you know, I was talking to someone the other day, it says, it almost doesn't seem fair. I would have loved this amount of ministry 20 years ago when I had a young body and I could, you know, just go forever and ever and ever. And, and somebody said to me, yeah, the problem is those young bodies don't always have the maturity to, you know. I said, okay, that makes me feel better, I think. <laughs> God is, God is just so amazing, just like we worship this morning and say, there's no one like our God. He is, he is so mighty. Uh, there's no one higher, no one better. Um, I read that in, in Isaiah chapter 40 where it says, who compares? Who can compare? Who can compare to the living God? There's no one. There's nothing. When I'm sharing Christ with people, I have the confidence that I don't, I don't know what they have if they don't have Christ. They don't have anything better, that's for sure. Uh, we need to have that confidence. Well, I'm looking at a passage in John chapter 4. I wish you'd join me there. Um, at the end, if I can take another minute or two and just share a couple other things God is doing, but I would like to get into this passage in this passage in John chapter 4, you probably already know that the Gospel of John is my favorite book in all the Bible. Um, I, just, I just love the Gospel of John. It's a very, very special book. And all throughout John, God the Son, Jesus Christ, had so many um, incredible appointments with individuals. Throughout the Gospels, you see this special sermons like the Sermon on the Mount, and you, you see all these special discourses that Jesus had as he talked to the multitudes. But in the Gospel of John, you, you see so many of these individual appointments, these individual uh, in, um, encounters that people had with the Son of God. And, and I just love that Gospel because I think of each of those encounters and it just reminds me of the relationship that I have with God and the fact that we can come to Him at any time and we can talk to Him. We can be honest and we can be open and we better be because He sees everything and knows everything anyway. And here in John's Gospel, there are situations and I can't think of a, of, of a better passage than on a mission Sunday when we're talking about the need to, uh, to talk to people about Jesus. It says in chapter 4, verse 1, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Let's pray. Father, in these few moments, I pray that you would really touch our hearts and speak to our hearts about people. People that need Jesus. Father, we, we are to go, and as we go, we are to spread the gospel. We are to teach 
others about the most important thing in all the world, a person that they need to know. Thank you for this encounter in John chapter 4 and how important it is for us not to despise other people, not to look down upon other people, not to think that we're better than them, not to, to rate them or judge them or decide that, that they're lower than us, but to look at them with loving eyes, with a loving heart, and to accept them as someone that Jesus died for. Give us that heart, I pray, dear God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It says in verse 4, and he must needs go through Samaria. It's interesting, there was another route around Samaria, probably a more dangerous, longer route, that would put a traveler where rogue individuals could have other intentions, but obviously that wasn't a threat for Christ. No danger is greater than the power that our Lord has. So why did he need to go through Samaria? I believe that Jesus must needs go through Samaria because he had an appointment there. A person who needed Christ, who needed truth. And I wonder, are there people in our lives that that need to hear a word from us, if we would just have the courage to tell them and to talk to them and, and to let them know what Jesus has done for us. Many years ago, the church approached us. My wife and I um, were uh, quite young. We were, of course, high school sweethearts. I think I've told you that story. But we were very young, and the, ch the church came, and they needed somebody, and we said, we'll do it, and, and I said, what do you need? And they said, well, we need someone to drive the bus. And I said, I'll do that. I, that sounds like fun. And so I, you know, they trained me. I took the course and got my bus license. And then I said, now what do you need? Well, we need you to drive it and pick up people. Okay, well, where? And they told me. And so we went to uh, the, out, the edge of Binghamton and went into what they called the, the kind of the projects. And I said, well, what's there in the projects? I mean, I kind of knew. And they said, kids, kids that need help. Uh, kids that are a little rough. <laughs> I said, okay. I said, well, let's, let's get a bus and take a bus. So I did, and we drove. And, and they said, well, in order to get these kids, I mean, we drove into the projects and we drove through a couple of trailer parks and, and these uh, kids were definitely looking for a place to go and something to, to do. And so we brought them to church. And uh, not everybody in the church was excited about it because these were some rough kids. And when they came, they brought up a lot of excitement. And trust me, it, it was quite amazing. And uh, of course, I, we were young, so I loved it. And I loved kids. And so it, was, it seemed like the perfect job for us. Uh, and, and we went into the projects and we definitely brought some excitement back to the church. It, uh, we had to all of a sudden recruit some more teachers. <laughs> we had to recruit some more bodyguards we had to recruit some more security people because these kids came with all their excitement with all their uh, sometimes lack of discipline I, I just call it excitement and um, and so um, we had our hands full uh, I was the bus driver so once I dropped them off they were someone else's uh, issue although they, they kind of became part of ours as well but I love those kids I can remember some of the excitement that they brought. And I remember having to calm some people down once in a while. Like, you know, you only have them for an hour and a half, then you'll be free again. <laughs> okay, well, that was some hope. <laughs> uh, I just loved those kids. I, they were my kids. 
They were on my bus. We, we had two buses. We actually had three, but we sent two buses out. And so we had a little contest between us and the, the bus that went the other side of town, who could fill their bus up quickest with these incredible kids. And they were my kids. I defended my kids. I, I didn't like it when they didn't show up. Um, and so we went out every other Saturday and we knocked on all the doors that held those kids just to remind them to get up the next morning because I didn't want them to miss. And um, those are my kids. God, God did some amazing things in their lives. They're the kind of kids that might live in a place like Samaria where you might tend to look down on them. And... The more I have read and have studied this passage, which really deals with prejudice and seeing people through the eyes of Jesus. And I've had to ask myself, are there times where are there times where I do that? Look at certain people. You know, we don't say it, but we think, well, we're better than them, you know. We don't do the things they do. I've had to do some serious self-evaluation over my life and think, are we like that? Do we, you know, we sometimes tend to look at divorced people that way. Uh, my dad was divorced. I, I know that happens sometimes. And, um, or we tend to look at people that uh, haven't grown up in church and they have lifetime habits that are a little different than ours and you know we tend to look down on them and you know we don't say it but we do and sometimes it affects how clearly we're willing to share the gospel with them and I really think this passage is really kind of an eye-opener that the Jews look down on the Samaritans they really were kind of like a half-breed type of, you know, compromisers. And the Jews really just didn't have any dealings with them. You realize that Jesus could have gone any route he wanted to, but it says he must, needs, go through Samaria. He chose to go that way. And he chose to have an encounter with this person. And it says, Then cometh he, verse 5, to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Verse 6, Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with this journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Do you remember what Jacob was good at? Jacob was good at building wells. Those wells meant life for their livestock and their families. And, and there were other wells that were controlled by hostile people. So J J Jacob built his own wells. And became really kind of famous for it. And those wells provided water, living water. I think of Jesus taking this route to meet a woman who needed living water. And I think of the heritage of what was there long, long, long time ago, Jacob's wells that provided living, provided living water in many ways because they needed water to live. And Jesus, being weary from the journey, sits on this well, and it's about the sixth hour. And here comes a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus says to her, give me to drink. Now that's noteworthy for several reasons. I mean, I've, I've made notes about that because 
The Jews just didn't ask anything of the Samaritans. They were looked down on. A Jewish man really didn't even ask anything of a woman, let alone a Samaritan woman. That just didn't happen. The rift between the Jews and the Samaritans was, was really deep. And then consider the fact culturally, a man just didn't ask that of a woman, let alone a Samaritan woman. You know what I'm amazed at? The freedom that Jesus had to minister to people. He kind of broke tradition. Uh, he wasn't worried about what people said to the point that it would keep him from ministering to a heart. Obviously, he did nothing wrong because Jesus couldn't sin. He's the Son of God. But I'm amazed at what freedom. Sometimes our own heart condemns us from doing things and reaching out when we really should be doing that. And the Christian life does involve taking some risks. Now, I think we need to be careful. But, but there are risks. You had, you had some missionaries up here and some pictures and some maps and some locations where I guarantee you some of your missionaries are taking a risk every day. They're in places that uh, are not, not as safe as in the United States of America. Uh, we have some missionaries with Word of Life that we can't even tell you where they are because uh, it would endanger them. And so we're in something like 70 countries now, but I think there's even some locations that we, we really, we don't even know uh, because we couldn't tell you. And... Um, the scriptures don't say, but I would imagine um, the disciples, in fact, if you look, it says in verse 7, there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said unto her, give me a drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. They were sent to Sychar to, to get some food. Uh, ministry is exhausting and tiring and the human body gets hungry and, and so they're sent into Sychar. I, I, the scriptures don't really say this, but I have a feeling they didn't really even want to go and do that because they would have to go and buy food from the Samaritans. And the, the rift was so deep that that probably wasn't something they were really excited about, but they did it. And the other thing that's kind of noteworthy about this is did, did you, do you see the timing of the day? This is not a normal time when a woman would come to draw water because it was in the heat of the day. And most people didn't go when it was the hottest to go draw water and to carry it back. And in fact, there's a, been a number of times where I've had the privilege of replacing uh, a roof. And uh, probably a dozen times I've been on a roof to replace a roof. And, and um, there's certain times of the day that you work and there's certain times of the day you really don't want to work up there like between uh, 1 and 2 o'clock when it gets so hot that you kind of like to take a long break and get off the roof so it will cool down and go back up when it's not quite so hot. Well, this was like one of those situations. You didn't normally go draw water at noon. And, um, and then the other thing is that she's come alone. Um, a lot of times the women travel together. It was safer that way and, you know, you enjoyed the company and of course, there's a number of things that are, I'm sure, implied here that um, she probably was not comfortable with bringing other women with her because of her reputation, or maybe more so, other women weren't really interested in joining her. She had a very colorful reputation. 
And even the world is, is um, guilty of not accepting their own. I mean, this, this was a very unusual situation. In verse 9 it says, Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. I mean, you see it right there in verse 9. She was surprised that Jesus would even talk to her or ask her something. She understood the boundaries and she understood the disenchantment that they had with each other. And many times without even knowing it, I think we as believers sometimes enter this story a little bit in in such a way... um, Another thing that I think we have to be really careful of is that we often have, as believers, often have an air of superiority over the lost. I mean, I, I've talked with a number of lost people, and, and they will say, well, you guys are Baptists, or you're Bible believers, or you're, you, know, you don't really have anything to do with us. And I have to kind of like say, what are you talking about? Now, I know what they're talking about, because we sometimes carry that air that, that we wouldn't associate with them. And, and there is something in Scripture about being very careful about close association. But can I submit to you that we've got to be extremely careful that we, don't, we, that we don't look down on other people as if somehow we're better. Um, I'm seeing more and more people come to Christ just because people have showed love to them. And the Bible really does remind us very clearly that by this shall others know that we love them is by the love that we show. And um, she understood the boundaries. She understood the disenchantment. In fact, it's interesting how quickly people learn about Christians. When Jamie and I moved to West Seneca, this... This just kind of blows me away. We moved to West Seneca about 29 years ago. And, of course, we didn't know anybody, you know, in, on the street that we moved to, but we moved on this street, and it's only one street long. If you were to be traveling the, the 90, Route 90, our street actually ends at Route 90, and so you can see our house from the highway. It's just a street long. And we moved in, and somebody came to, to you know, visit us, and... Somehow they were at the other end of our street and they happened to talk to the people that lived in the very house at the very end of the street. And, and they said, well, we're looking for the Whitney's. And, and you know what they answered? They said, oh, you mean the Bible man at the other end of the street? And I'm like, you know, when they told me, because they did find us, and I mean, I go outside and I looked at our house and I thought, how did they, what, I mean, I understand because I do like, I'm in the Bible every day. So I, I guess that makes sense. But how do they know that? The Bible man, are you kidding? I mean, actually, I kind of like that title, but it's like, is that on our house somewhere? Is there, did I miss something? Did have the neighbor send a petition around? Be careful, the Bible man, or what, you know? It's just unbelievable how, how your reputation, good or bad, uh, gets out there so quickly. But with that, we've got to be careful that we don't carry an air of superiority as if we're better. The scriptures very clearly make it that we are not to look down on others as if we're better than them. I talk to people all the time that aren't necessarily into spiritual disciplines. I can tell because of our conversation. But I'm not better than them. Just because I'm in my Bible every day, now I think God will bless, and I think God will answer my prayers, and I think God will do some 
really incredible things, but I'm not better than them just because I do certain spiritual disciplines. But in our head, we often think we are, and we've got to be careful with that. And so here we see a, a woman of Samaria, someone... Um, Jesus in verse 10 says that Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. And I wrote in my notes, I, I need to get this down. I need to get this. Too often we beat around the bush. With Jesus and his conversations, it's often, it's the heart of his conversation. And he immediately starts to talk to her about eternal life. That's what matters in her life. Not what she's doing for, at the moment, but the fact that she needs Jesus. The woman needed what Jesus had. In verse 11 it says, The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep, and from whence thou hast that living water. And I see a bit of confusion in her voice, very similar to the, the, the discussion that Jesus had with Nicodemus in the very chapter before. You remember it says that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night and, and he's a religious leader. He's a teacher of the Jews. He is a man that is paid to have spiritual insight and wisdom and, and to be able to give people direction. And he comes to Jesus and he's so confused about this eternal life or this, this thought of being born again. And Jesus says, don't be surprised that I'm saying to you, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And he tells them another time, and in fact it's in verse 3, and it's in verse 5, and it's verse 7. He says, don't be surprised that I'm telling you, a religious leader, that you will never see God's heaven if you don't know Jesus personally. It doesn't matter that you're a leader of the Jews and probably a member of the Sanhedrin and all of that, of, of very high nobility spiritually. It doesn't matter. The fact is, do you know Jesus? Is Jesus in your heart, in your life? In fact, he says, it's kind of surprising that you're a religious leader and you don't know these things. Ooh, wow. Now, I don't know the end of the story for Nicodemus, but I, Nicodemus comes around later and I, I really think we'll see Nicodemus someday. But just like he talked to Nicodemus and he was confused. He's talking to this woman and, and she seems a bit confused. She says, um, how, how are you going to give me this living water? You don't even have anything to draw with. It's so interesting, the contrast between John chapter 3 and John chapter 4. In fact, I was reading by John Phillips who's one of my favorite theologians, and John writes it so well, he puts it this way. He said, one was a man, the other a woman. One was a Jew, the other a Samaritan. One was a respected ruler, the other a social outcast. One seen as a moral man, the other an immoral woman. The one came to Jesus by night, the other came at noon. Isn't that interesting? The one had no arguments, only a wondering how. The other was full of questions and debate. That was this woman. The one was cautious, the other was bold. The one did not seem to know what he wanted, the other knew only too well. She wanted that water. One fades out of the story unnoticed. The other went back to her crowd and brought the whole city back to Jesus. I love that. Here you have a woman who knew she was in sin. Almost everyone we talk to know they're sinners. This woman knew she had no right to expect Jesus to even talk to her. She knew that totally at his mercy. 
And most that we talk to try to change the subject. And that's pretty well what she does. In verse 12 it says, Are you greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? She certainly needed to understand more, but she certainly heard of the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. She had that down pretty good. Verse 13, it says, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Here is a really good tip for soul winners. Don't get off the subject. No matter what they ask, keep coming back to their greatest need. They need eternal life. And this is the message that we've got to bring. The world in some ways can be so close, yet lacking one piece. They can understand they're in trouble. They can understand they need a Savior. They can understand there's a Creator. They can understand that they're heading in the wrong direction. It's often just, just a simple explanation that they need. We used to take our teens, and our teens actually went and visited every home in our town. Our deacons told us one day, that's a great project. I don't know if you'll ever get it done, though. And I said, well, what do you mean? Well, we've tried that three times with our deacons, and we never could complete it. I said, we're going to. I said, all I've got to do is get the teens excited about it. And teens will do anything you ask them to. I, I have never had trouble getting young people to do the things that they're supposed to do. I just love on them and appeal to them. And I think teens can be some of the greatest Christians in the whole world. We took our teenagers out and they went to 1,400 and something like 70 homes all over Marilla. And we visited every home in Marilla. Our teens did it. I'll never forget the day we colored in the rest of the map. And I showed it to our pastor and our deacons. They said, they did it. I said, they did it. I said, I'm glad you told me we couldn't do it because that's all we needed to hear. We did it. I told the teens that and they finished it. And we started on the next two towns outside of Marilla. It was exciting. Teenagers are a wonderful, wonderful team when you get them working in the right direction. And at this point, I think this woman is blown away. Look at verse 15. The woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And she did not want to keep coming there. And Jesus said unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, and that you said truly. And the woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. This is unbelievable. How could he know this? How could he not? He's Jesus. And at this point, she's blown away. Jesus notices, not afraid to bring up her sin that she needed to be delivered from, but yet not really dwelling on it. He so well identified her situation and a little trapped, I would suspect. She tries another route, another misdirection of sorts. And in verse 20 she says, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And yes, the Samaritans built their own temple for worship on Mount Gerizim. And that's why they were considered to be kind of like compromisers. They built their own temple. They chose their place. And by the way, that location to them was really, really important. Until 129 B.C. when the Jewish high priest came and burnt that temple down. Now that didn't exactly help the situation between the Jews and the Samaritans. They both 
very highly worship their temple and so a Jewish man comes and burns their temple down. That didn't exactly lessen the rift, could I say that? That was a very hotly debated difference between the Jews and the Samaritans and that their temple now lay in ruins. But the Samaritans still worshipped that location because it was that location that was special to them. And so she brings this up and, and notice what Jesus says in verse 21. I love this. Jesus entered, woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. And that was true. Salvation would first come to the Jews. It would come to the Jews first. But there is one thing that always brings us back to worship, true worship. You know what it is? Truth. The one thing, now you think about it, the one thing that always brings us back to what true worship really is, is truth. There is a world out there that is so confused. And there is a world out there that is so deceived. Because our enemy is the deceiver, the master deceiver. He'll make a mess of your marriage by bringing deception into it, secrets, uh, things that happen in your mind, things that you start to do with, and you, and you, you, know, you know what I'm talking about. You start to play with sin, and you start to, you really become a phony. He loves to destroy your marriage by, by letting something come into it that will ruin it and wreck it because he's a master destroyer. He loves to, to um, inspire people to create these false religions that go and, and tell people that there's another way to God, there's another way to salvation, and, and people get so wrapped up in these false religions. If I were to go out on some mountain and say, if, if you could push this big boulder with your nose across 30 miles, and if you did that, you'd be saved, there would be people that would follow me. As foolish as that is, and in some of the religions you study them, all of them outside of Christ, they are foolish. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's the truth, and the truth will set people free. But our deceiver will, will come in and he'll destroy and he'll mess up. And there is always one thing that brings us back to true worship, and that is truth. And that is what Jesus has given this dear woman. He says, the hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Truth is always a vital part. And if I can tell you this, I personally believe that God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. He made it. He created it. I've often asked people, what, what do you think God is doing about heaven? Well, he's creating a place for us. That's right. Can you imagine how amazing that's going to be? I think heaven is going to be perfect. I mean, like, perfect, like, I can't even begin to describe it to you, perfect. You know something? I think hell's going to be perfect. Because it's designed by a perfect creator. I don't think it's going to lack anything for what it was designed for. 
it's going to be a horrible place. A punishment. I don't think anybody could create hell better than God can. It's going to be downright ugly. How could a place be beautiful, originally created for Satan and his demons? It's going to be awful. I wouldn't, worse, I wouldn't wish my worst enemy there. This woman needs to be delivered from that place. And too many, for too many, religion has come down to phony rituals and dead liturgy and forms and ceremonies. Jesus wants to bring this woman to a place where she gets right with God. And folks, that's the job that's before us. We don't necessarily like all the people that we come in contact with, do we? I mean, I, I just got to tell you, sometimes when I'm on the road, I get so frustrated with other drivers. If I was God for a day, half of them would disappear. <laughs> I would be just like, get rid of that one, get rid of that one. People need the Lord, don't they? We, we have what they need. All we need is a little more love for them. I believe this woman, I, I got to tell you, I think this woman is a woman coming to faith. I think this woman is asking herself, this is unbelievable. He knows everything about me. And I think she's beginning to think this. Could this be, could, could, could this man that's talking to me that knows I passed by, it's like, could this be the Messiah? She, by the way, she knew about a coming Messiah. She knew about the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. She's not a dummy in that sense. We think everybody is like unreachable. She's not unreachable. I think she's actually, this is a woman that we see in the very making of coming to faith. Could this be the Messiah? The woman saith unto him in verse 25, the woman said, I know the Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, this Messiah is going to tell us everything. And I think at that point, she's probably thinking, you've got to be kidding. This, this maybe could be him. And this is an exciting part of the story. I see a woman coming to faith. And, ver and Jesus says in verse 26, Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And just like when you're witnessing to people, when you're right at the, you know, you're right at the moment where you think they're ready to get on their knees and pray, the disciples come back. Verse 27, and, and, and upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with this woman. Yet no man said, what seekest thou or why talkest thou with her? Uh, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, it's sort of like, look who Jesus is talking to. Seriously. Verse 28, the woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, and I think the fact that she left her water pot tells me that she's now on a mission. She is on her way to understanding. And then listen to her report, verse 29. She says, come see a man, come see this man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? To be clear, the Samaritans expected a Messiah to come. Because I believe that there's a hole in every person that only Jesus can fill. And she's not afraid at this point to start telling people about the truth. And, and verse 30 says, Then they went out of the city and came unto him. And so she hurries home. She gathers up the men. She brings them back to meet Jesus. And then 
In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. In verse 32, but he said unto them, I have meat to eat of that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him to eat? Now the disciples are confused. Jesus says unto him, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. I have read this over and over and over and over again. I think the explanation is so simple. Jesus says, isn't it true that when a person plants and puts you know, seeds in the ground that you basically wait about four months and then it you know, produces fruit? I plant cucumbers and tomatoes. Uh, I love my tomatoes. My wife hates them. So I get to eat them all and, uh, and share them with my neighbors. I planted uh, some pumpkins this year, some beans. And you know what? They came up incredibly. But once you plant them, you just, you got to wait a while. I mean, you got to wait. I don't like the waiting part. I go out there every week and it's nothing. Another week, nothing. Finally, the little thing pops out of the ground. Ha <laughs> ha, they are coming. And then I have to keep the rabbits from chewing off the tops of those seeds. And so I have to kind of make them my enemy, number one, you know, and put a fence around. And there's a lot of things. What Jesus is saying is if you understand the laws of gardening, you plant and then you have to wait. But you notice what he says? I think he's saying there's so many people that are so right. There's so many people that need Jesus. We really don't have to do a lot of waiting. We just got to go tell. We just got to go out there. There are so many people that need Jesus and they know they need Jesus. We just got to talk with them. Time is so right that we don't have to wait long to see a harvest. Verse 36 says, And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true. One soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereupon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and you entered into their labors. Our job is to share the gospel. We don't have to bring them to Christ in the sense that we don't save them. We just got to talk to them. We just got to tell them. Salvation is a work of God. He'll do the rest. We're the messengers. Verse 40 says, So when the Samaritans were coming to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Now don't miss this. Jesus stayed with them two more days. You know what I've put in my notes? What I have done now? These were Samaritans. What I've done now? lived with him for a couple of days. Verse 42, and says, and said unto the woman, now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the, the Christ, the Savior of the world. The truth is, those men said, well, we, didn't, we didn't accept him because you said it. I mean, she didn't have the greatest reputation. They came to hear him for themselves. But can I tell you this? She was the conduit. She was the messenger. As, as ugly as her reputation was, she is a woman coming to faith. And God used her in an incredible way to bring all the men of the city to Jesus. Jamie and I have so many opportunities ahead. We have an all-night event that we are 
working hard on, praying for. Uh, it's a lot of work. We think, well, last year we grew by 200 people. This, um, this year, we've set a ridiculous goal of growing by 850 people. Now, 200 is a lot. But we decide we're going to set a goal that only God can do. And, um, and so we, we've told the world, we're, just, we're planning for 2,000 people. My wife and I have set up enough facilities. We've added bowling lanes. We've added altitude trampoline. We've added the Clubhouse Fun Center. If it doesn't happen, we've got to let a whole bunch of places go. I'm going to have to go with egg on my face and tell them we don't need you. I'm sorry. We just over... And that could happen. But I believe it could also happen that we could actually um, reach an attendance of 2,000 people this year. Now, to my knowledge, no one has ever done that. Um, and Word of Life's been running Super Bowls for about 29 years, 30 years, I think 32. And so we're asking God to do something that's never been done, to my knowledge, to grow by that much. But I want to tell you, we've been praying for that almost every single day since January. And we are tracking um, to do just that. I, I think it could happen. I'm, I'm a little scared because uh, that's bigger than us. I mean, facilities for 2,000 people all night long is a lot of places and a lot of staff. We had 124 staff last year. We need 160 staff this year. About 140 of which we need to be up all night. That's really hard to find. So. We really need your prayers. And if we don't have staff, we're going to have buildings with teenagers running around with no adults. So that's not a good thing. Um, so we, we really do need your prayers. I need college-age students that can stay up all night. Um, trust me, we are, we're looking everywhere we can. I've, everyone I talk to, I'm handing them a pink slip saying, I need your help. And uh, Friday, November 2nd, please pray for that day. Uh, we are trying very hard to reach 2,000 students. Uh, we have 36 churches that have advanced right now. We need about 36 more. Um, but we met 80 churches at Kingdom Bound that said they're interested, and I have yet, I've got to call all them up. That's going to start this week. Um, we have 20-some churches that came last year that haven't advanced yet, so that's on top of our 36, but I think we'll get most of them. So I really think it can happen. Um, and um, we are a little nervous about that because if it happens, uh, we're going to need a ton of help. But if 2,000 people come to Reverb, I believe we could see 200 saved that night. And I am absolutely thrilled about that. Here was a Samaritan woman whose life drastically changed because someone took a risk and met her at a place where she was and told her about living water. Would you pray for us? We want to tell unsafe students about this same eternal life. And if they don't know Jesus, they need him badly. So you pray for us. Friday, November 2nd, that is our mission. That is our next big project. And it's a little less than six weeks away. So we need your prayers. Let's pray. Father, I know it's been a long morning. You have been very good to us, and this, this group has been so incredibly gracious. Father, 
We need the Holy Spirit to work in our heart and our lives. We needed Jesus so badly when we did not know the truth. And we run into people all the time that need Jesus so desperately or they're headed for a Christless eternity. Father, give us the courage to talk. Give us the courage to have gospel conversations. Give us the courage to be the missionaries that you've been encouraged us and challenged us to be. This woman became a whole different person. And everyone we meet has the potential of doing the very same thing. Father, give us eyes that see the lost, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.